Uh, I'm not going to go to bed that night, so I'm going to stay up and I'm going to watch the sunrise on a free country. Passionate pro-European former Tory MP Anna Soubry says she'll be going down to the pub to drown her Brexit sorrows. I will not be celebrating. I think our country's made a terrible mistake. I, it will just be another Friday night, go down the local pub. Senior Tory MP Tom Tugendhat says Boris Johnson could live to regret giving high-tech Huawei a big role in the 5G network. He says it's embedding the Chinese state in the heart of our telecoms. What it will see us doing is embedding, or rather continuing to further embed, Chinese organs that are able to perhaps deny, perhaps block, perhaps listen to the data that is travelling over our system. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify, or leave us a review. Tell your smart speaker to play Daily Mail News and you'll hear the latest episode of Order Order. And email us at any time at orderorder at mailplus.co.uk. Are Rottweiler political interviews dead and buried? Lord Hall of the BBC thinks so. Do you agree, Amanda? You can be a bit of a Rottweiler, as I know. (laughs) That is so not true. I'm just your poodle, Simon. Everyone knows that. Mm. (laughs) I certainly hope they're not over. I mean, where's the fun in stopping all that? First of all, it provides great theatre. Secondly, it provides a really important role, especially around the time of elections or key votes. When you've got someone like Andrew Neil, who is the only one of either political party who really skewered Jeremy Corbyn over anti-Semitism in the run-up to the election. Wouldn't you like to take this opportunity tonight to apologise to the British Jewish community for what's happened? What I'll say is this. I am determined that our society will be safe for people of all faiths. I don't want anyone to be feeling insecure in our society. And our government will protect every community against the the abuse they receive on the streets, on the trains, or in any any other form of life. Try one more time. No, No hang on a minute, Andrew. And they play a really important role, these these journalists. We would say that, wouldn't we? (laughs) Journalists are really important. Well, one one of my my favourites was was the great Jeremy Paxman's interview with Michael Howard, Conservative leader in 1997, I think it was when he asked him the same question 12 times and Howard wriggled and wriggled. Michael Howard, did you? No, Jeremy, I didn't. But feel free to ask another 11 times. No, no, I think that's absolutely fine. Thank you very much. Though I think later Paxman said that the reason he did it was not to really interrogate. It was because he couldn't think of anything else to say before the programme ended. (laughs) And what about the the, the Frost-Nixon one? Going back a bit further to the 70s, I mean, and that went down in history. Was Frost one of the original TV interrogators when he skewered Nixon badly? And I think Nixon pretty much admitted that he'd let down the American people. He did. But then he did also have um, uh, something like five days of interviews. But there, there is sometimes, you know, we all know it's like listening to the Today programme, when of course we're not listening to our wonderful podcast, <laughs> um, is there are times when you just scream at the radio, oh for goodness sake, just let them answer the question. So there's a balance, but uh, I would rather it erred on the side of journalists being interrogators. Yeah. I mean, occasionally, of course, Boris Johnson had a pretty rough ride from Michelle Hussein on the Today programme when 
she she was trying to quiz him over his relationship with Donald Trump, and, and Boris would not do it, and, and launched into this attack on Diane Abbott. And Michelle Hussein said very calmly, "Mr. Johnson, please stop talking." Mm-hmm. Uh, Diane Abbott, the okay. one who the one right. who no, no, doesn't so, save so, a shit no, kid in spite talking. of what you say. Right. So big, please stop big talking. Tw- no, you've no, 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 no. no I actually said talk. I just said you've, it's, it's the third time you've mentioned Diane Abbott, and you're the foreign secretary. You've got a big job in <laughs> government, so, so I think we should. <laughs> not something anyone around the cabinet says these days. I'm sure that's true. Defeated Labour candidates have been left angry and puzzled after the party emailed them six weeks after the election to advise them to contact the Samaritans. Amanda, was that good advice? It's completely bizarre. I mean, the Samaritans are an incredibly important organisation dealing with, you know, from kids who've got suicidal thoughts mm. through to, you know, returned soldiers. It is a wonderful lifeline. You don't need it clogged up with a bunch of momentum thugs whinging about the fact they've gone down <laughs> to the worst election defeat. <laughs> Remind me how many years, Simon? I can't remember, but what struck me about this is uh, Jeremy Corbyn, he sort of has this, or had this aura of this sort of magic grandpa but actually there was a, there's a sort of a coldness about him i think because he didn't contact any of the candidates after they lost. He Incredible. didn't apologise for it. And now, six weeks later, they send him some rather... They send the candidates some rather candidate advice saying if they're feeling stressed, that then here's to go for advice maybe with Samaritans. Maybe the, the, the better way to deal with it would be to come out with a sensible election manifesto. <laughs> then there'd be less stress all round. <laughs> they've got to get a leader first. Now, those dodos they've got lined up. It'll be a long time before we see a sensible manifesto. What's in a name? Conservative MP Mark Francois is such a passionate Anglophile, he should really be called Mr English, not Mr Francois. He's still hopping mad at the failure to get Big Ben to ring in Brexit on Friday night. He even accused Boris Johnson of acting like the grand old Duke of York by demanding Big Ben be reopened for the occasion and then retreating when parliamentary jobs were said it couldn't be done. Mark explained how he's going to make the historic moment last as long as he possibly can. We said from the outset, we were very clear, that if we didn't hit the target, we weren't able to make Big Ben chime, then all the money in the fund will be donated to Help for Heroes, so that is what will happen. So our, our military veterans will do well out of it. Do you think you were a bit let down by the Prime Minister? Because he said it would happen. In fact, I think you suggested he was a bit like the grand old Duke of York marching you up the hill and then, and then down again. Yeah, I, I did say that. I, I was a bit disappointed because, you know, he kind of kicked it all off on this BBC interview. You know, we're going to find a way for people, you know, to bung a bob for a Big Ben bong. Good impression of the PM, Mark. Thank you. And, you know, so we thought that's what Number 10 wanted and it's certainly what we wanted, but it would have appear that some people in number 10 got cold feet because they thought it would be divisive or triumphalist or some such nonsense but you know the two bits of good news we're still leaving the European Union and secondly help for heroes will do one out of it. There is a bit in that quite a few remainder have said you're you're rubbing their noses in the dirt there's something in that isn't there? No you don't have to celebrate New Year's Eve but many people do you don't have to celebrate leaving the European Union if you don't want to but after all this there are quite a lot of people who do and because we leave at a very specific moment at 11 p.m gmt on the 31st under article 50 many of us you know those who want to celebrate it have got to look to some clock to mark the moment just as you do on new year's eve many of us believe big ben was the natural option now you're you're a man who wears his heart on his sleeve you've become very passionate in this and and you've had quite a low key political career if i may say so but this has brought something else out in you what is it 
Well, <laughs> I've always felt passionately that we should leave the EU, so I nailed my colours to the mast on what turned out to be the great issue of the day. I hope I've been consistent. The epiphany, the thing that really, as it were, carried me over the line, was back in 2008 when I was the Shadow Europe Minister. We spent 14 nights in this place debating the Lisbon Treaty, and at the end of that we couldn't change so much as a punctuation mark, and I went home at the end of all that and thought, this is bonkers, we've got to get out of this, we don't run our own country, we've Parliament's a rubber stamp. So that was my epiphany, and I believe we should leave ever since then, and then this was the opportunity to make the argument. And do you think we really will be a different country, or do you think things are going to carry on just the same? Well, I think over time we'll be different. I think, you know, for the next few weeks everything will carry on as it has done. You know, I was shopping in Sainsbury's at the weekend at the Rayleigh Weir, I didn't notice any panic buying. Uh, you know, after all the project fear nonsense, you know, the, the planes will fly, the lorries will drive, the ferries will go, the Eurostar will run. I don't think people are going to run out of insulin. You know, we will all carry on with our lives. But over time, we'll be able to strike trade deals around the world with other countries, with the US, with the EU, with China, Brazil, and so on. That, I think, will increase our economic prosperity. We'll also be able, we'll have greater control over our own laws. I mean, I'll just give you one simple example. Um, uh, there's a lot of argument about whether you should change the rate of VAT on on tampons. Now, to some people, that's very important. We can't do that at the moment under the sixth VAT directive. We're not allowed to change that. Once we've left the EU, we can. I mean, that's just one particular way that we'll actually take back control of our own lawmaking. So, Mark, what are you going to be doing when the hour strikes and we're out of the EU? Where will you be and what, what will you be doing? Well, I, I very kindly, I've been invited to some celebratory parties so I'll probably be at one or other of those and um, and then I've decided uh, I'm not going to go to bed that night so I'm going to stay up and I'm going to watch the sunrise on a free country first light's about 0740 will you be wearing your Union Jack socks and underpants <laughs> no I'm not necessarily going to I'm not necessarily going to go that far I'm certainly going to celebrate at 11pm I'm certainly going to stay up I'm certainly going to watch the sunrise you know let's, let's take it from there well that is the raw authentic Tory working class voice of Brexit, isn't it, Amanda? Marc Francois, the man who puts piff into epiphany. Yes, he's... Um, but look, I just think it could have come up a, a better excuse for our wonderful new free world than, than getting rid of the tampon tax. Crikey. Anna Soubry won the award for Defector of the Year at the Spectator magazine Parliamentary Awards a week ago. It's all that's left of her parliamentary career that saw Anna resign from the Conservative Party over her opposition to Brexit. She stood as an independent at the election and was roundly beaten. But Anna hasn't given up. She still says Brexit is a huge mistake. And you won't be surprised to hear she won't be dancing a jig on the White Cliffs of Dover on Friday. It is an, a very important moment, but it's one that I will certainly not be celebrating because I think our country's made a terrible mistake. And when you think somebody's made a terrible mistake, apart, of course from a member of your family I suppose marrying somebody that you think is a terrible mistake and you feel obliged to go along to the wedding but normally you don't go along and celebrate something that you think is a dreadful mistake well people do celebrate divorces that's not unknown yes, but we shouldn't be divorcing we should be staying together keeping keeping this relationship going working at it because it's done our country so much good for so many decades it's taken yep. us from the sixth man of Europe and we were the fifth largest economy Yep. Not anymore, but we were. 
Do, do you think the Brexiteers who are jumping up and down celebrating and waving Union Jacks are, are, are actually prolonging the sense of division in the country by doing so? No, it's a very small number of people. But is it, isn't it incumbent on you, as, as a fair-minded person, to acknowledge the, the, the feelings of the, of the victorious party? I mean, we, we spoke to Marc Francois on this programme earlier, and, and he's going to stay up all night. He wants to see in the bright new dawn of the... Well, of he'll the, be waiting a long time for a bright new door. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, he won't. It's when the sun rises the next morning. Look, nothing's going to change on Saturday. Everybody knows that. I think that's the other thing, is that a couple of things, aren't there? First of all, you always hope you're wrong when you predict that something is a mistake and will go badly wrong. Mm. You hope to be proved wrong. Mm. And I'd be delighted to be able to, if I'm proved wrong. Mm. Um, I fear that it's Mr. Francois and his ilk that will be um, proved wrong. But I think the other thing is, is that, okay, everybody, I think, understands that nothing will change by Saturday morning. That the, uh, you know, this, this next piece of work, which is the most important piece of work, has yet to be done and blah, blah, blah. And it's where we'll be this time next year. And those people that voted leave, ordinary, sensible, moderate leave voters, I think the real question is, what difference is it going to make to their life? How are they suddenly going to feel some change or benefit in a year's time? I think the answer is going to be, there will be none at all. There will be no benefit. And somebody's going to have to manage all of that, that disappointment, that sense of being let down. Uh, and we don't talk about that very much, but, um, you know, that will be for um, Boris Johnson to sort out because this is now happening very much on his watch and he owns all of it. He owns all of it. And we will talk to you again, I'm sure. Thank you very much. And I hope we'll be drinking, well, a glass of French wine on Friday night, maybe. Well, it's quite interesting, the number of Brexiteers who said they'd be celebrating drinking champagne. And I thought that was very peculiar. I thought they'd be drinking sparkling English wine, which is exceedingly good. Uh, but I shall be having a soda water and lime, and I might just have a glass of white French wine. Well, uh, Amanda, I'm guessing that your um, way of marking Brexit will probably slightly closer to Marc Francois than Anna Soubry, but I would put my house on the fact that no soda water will be passing your lips. <laughs> <laughs> Only in the morning. Now I'm going to a great big party. Um, it's just been. It's just, It's for obviously for Brexiteers, for a group of people, a lot of journalists actually, who took a hell of a lot of a, um, abuse um, in the the last three years. And uh, Gidwin Anna says, you know, you won't feel any different. Well, actually, without wanting to be triumphant in any way, we do feel better. We do feel as though something has changed in this country. And I, I think I might do a mark and stay up all night. Although I've got a column to write on Friday morning. I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah, but you stay up all night most nights. What's the difference? <laughs> Brexit or no Brexit? I, I think what the nice thing about Britain is that, as you know, I, I voted Remain, OK? But I think mean, we've, we've all accepted the draft move on. I think one of the great things about this country is that we are able to sort of confront these really big issues. And this goes back down the centuries. We, we sort of find a way of resolving them and we, and we kind of move on. And, and I think the thing that Mark said, which struck me, he said... You can celebrate uh, Brexit if you want to. Great. If you don't, don't. Like New Year's Eve. Yeah. And I, I, su it's... I suspect a lot of people go out and have a great time. rest of the people will just stay at home, do their normal thing. And then the next morning, we'll all carry on. We certainly will. But as I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great night. And I don't care where the alcohol comes from.
Country of destination not required. Or who pays for it? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm going on the Saturday morning. I'm going to Paris as it by chance for the for the England France Rugby Internationals. So we will find out then whether Brexit's going to make any difference to our travel arrangements, and I'll report back. I might tip them off at customs. The Irish leader, Leo Varadkar, ruffled a few feathers this week when he said Britain's got to wake up to new reality. We're just a little team against a big team. The European Union is a union of 27 member states. Um, the UK is only one country. And we have a population and a market of 450 million people. Uh, the UK, it's about 60. Um, so if these were two teams up against each other playing football, who do you think has the stronger team? Now, what really surprised me about that, apart from the cheek of it, is the Ireland is a country of five million people. When did it ever stop Ireland thrashing other bigger countries at football, rugby, writing, fighting, (laughs) singing, drinking, and I could go on? I think the man's got a nerve. Yeah, it's a ludicrous analogy. And, you know, Britain... it doesn't matter how size the islands are. The fact it's one of the, what is this, the fourth or fifth biggest economy in the world. So stick that up your Irish jumper. Ooh, uh. The political point here is the, the EU is still acting like, well, you've made a mistake, you're going to live to regret it. And I think there's a feeling they haven't quite woken up to the new reality. We're leaving, the, 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 the roof hasn't fallen in. And uh, I, I think in these negotiations, I think that's going to come out. The EU needs to recalibrate. They've got they've got two narratives going on. One which is you make a terrible mistake. You know we think you're all idiots. And the other one is which I think is a, a far better one to use would be of the prodigal son. You've decided to go away. They do a lot of them will privately say their big dream is that Britain will just change its mind and re-enter. So that would be a much better attitude to take because the last thing you want to do is to really really annoy a bunch of people who you actually want to come back into your club. If I'm stuck on the Eurostar train for, tw- for 36 hours and miss the match, I might change my mind. I'll do the show on my own, Simon, and finally get to pick my own topical tune. Boris Johnson has finally given the go-ahead to grant Chinese high-tech giant Huawei a much bigger role in Britain's new 5G network. The decision was defended in the Commons by the Foreign Secretary, Dominic Raab. We know more about Huawei and the risks it poses than any other country in the world. Risk can't be eliminated in telecoms, but it is the job of government, Ofcom and industry to work together to ensure we reduce our vulnerabilities and mitigate those risks. But America's continuing grave concerns about all this were flagged up on the BBC radio this morning by Newt Gingrich, the former Speaker of the House of Representatives. Huawei and a Chinese 5G approach with no comparable American development, I think is the biggest strategic defeat for the United States uh, since the early days of World War II. We are in danger of being in a world within a decade in which the primary manufacturer of equipment for cellular is Chinese. This is a totalitarian dictatorship. Senior MP, former army officer and foreign affairs expert Tom Tugendhat led the Tory backbench campaign against giving Huawei a big role in the UK's 5G telecoms network. He's compared it chillingly to creating a dragon's nest or giving control to Beijing just after we spent years wrestling it back from Brussels. Tom says Boris Johnson's decision makes it all too easy for China's communist government to meddle in UK affairs. 
As he put it, sovereignty is not just about soil in today's world, it's about data. The real challenge is not the worst case, the real challenge is, is the most likely case actually. The most likely case is that this will see us uh, maintaining uh, a level of market penetration from a Chinese state uh, organisation, which is what Huawei really is in the sense that it's owned by unions and companies owned remotely by the Chinese state. And what it will see us doing is embedding, uh, or rather continuing to further embed, um, Chinese organs that uh, are able to perhaps deny, perhaps block, perhaps uh, actually listen to the data that is travelling over our system. So this is this is a matter of concern. Now, I'm, I'm confident that GCHQ are, are, are right, that they can manage the, the current threat, but uh, over the next five and ten years, as things upgrade that gets harder you described this in quite emotive terms you talked about you know the, the dragon's nest mm. i think you said what's the point in us getting control back from brussels in terms of brexit if we just kind of hand it over to beijing is that what you feel that, that we're we're risking well if we don't invest properly in our defenses then uh, that's an eternal risk for, for for countries like ours the problem is that it is very very hard to know what the future is going to bring inherently you know the future is unpredictable and so finding ways in which we can be more defended is important and that's why if what the government is doing is a glide path towards zero if what it is doing is uh, getting market diversification out there so that we have different providers and we have uh, therefore greater resilience in our system then that is hugely to be welcomed what's not clear at the moment is whether 35 percent is the floor or we're aiming to zero in the longer term but but once the dragon is in your nest it's pretty hard to get it out isn't it it's hard and expensive but i think that's what we've got to do and that's why i i welcome as i say the target of 35 percent but i wanted to go further and the reality is in order to go further we've got to get other market providers in that means partnering with people like the americans the australians indeed the germans and the french to build up other systems on top of the swedish and finnish uh, Ericsson and Nokia that we have today. And what damage, if any, do you think Boris Johnson has done to our relationship with America? Well, he has traditionally had very good relationships with President Trump, and I hope uh, that they will continue. So that is certainly uh, to be welcomed. Um, I hope he hasn't done any damage. I hope what uh, what is seen is that this is the UK government responding to a situation that, frankly, is you know not where any of us would have wished to start. But do, do you think the Americans will punish us by by scaling back security cooperation? Well, it's not simply a question of punishing. They need to be confident that our security is to the standards that they would expect. You know, they and we uh, produce intelligence from our sources around the world. And in order to make sure that our sources are safe uh, and that our information is usable, we've got to keep it secret. I mean, one upside of this is nobody will be able to say from now on that, that Boris Johnson is Donald Trump's poodle, will they? No, that's quite clear. Personally, I, I don't see that this is really a question about the Americans for us. The real question is, what does this mean for the British people? Sovereignty is not just about soil anymore. 
anymore. It's about it's about information and data. And and a sovereign state is a state that can control or at least protect uh, the data that it produces. Now, 5G is going to be very different. It's going to produce a lot more data than 4G because of the interconnectedness of things. And so there is an awful lot that we need to do to make sure we protect it. And this raises questions. And it now means that uh, I'm going to be getting together with others to talk to the Treasury about making sure we do not find ourselves in this position again. And that means really investing in the infrastructure that connects our world and keeps us safe. Well, Amanda, you've extinguished the fire of a few dragons. <laughs> do you think Boris should have said no way to Huawei? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, I, it's a fait accompli now. There's nothing that can be done. You can even tell from Tom's interview that he's resigned to it. It's unlikely, but it is feasible that if you get a big enough rebellion, which is at the moment mm. being led by David Davis and Ian Duncan Smith, against this deal completely, uh, he only has to get... We don't know how Labour's going to vote. He, you know, 80 majority, if you can get 20 or 30 Tory backbenchers and Labour votes against it, it's a completely different situation. I just feel really deeply uncomfortable about a massive communist country that persecutes Christians and Muslims alike, runs over its own citizens with tanks, and that gave us snake flu um, to be having this much influence over us. But, I mean, I, it, this is Boris's first big decision, mm. and he's certainly taken a big decision. And I think the point I raised with Tom, that America was trying to bully us not in, into not doing this, and I, I think they've played their hand badly here. And I, and I think whatever the merits of the decision, and it's clearly it's an invidious decision. If he'd, if he, if we'd scrapped it, we yeah. lose two or three years. We lose tens of billions of pounds just at the moment. The economy needs every help it can get with Brexit. He's taken on Trump, and he's and he's told him where to go. I think it's cast him as a strong independent leader and in that regard it's good and also what trump didn't do which he would normally do under these circumstances is wake up at five o'clock in the morning and start tweeting um what a what an idiot um boris is that is true and he's had no response he's been very very tempered but then of course donald was busy doing the greatest peace deal in the history of the universe wasn't he yesterday so simon what's your topical tune this week well, there's two tunes, really, Amanda. We've taken, of course, the bongs of Big Ben to mark the our leaving uh, from the European Union. But being the fair-minded person I am, Amanda, we're going to play it alongside the EU anthem, Ode to Joy, Beethoven's magnificent Ninth Symphony. And also the tune to which I walked down the aisle before a disastrous marriage. Well, thanks for the, the memory, Simon. That's really cheered me up. There's a moral in that, <laughs> isn't there? That's all we've got time for this week. Don't forget you'll be able to listen back to this and all our other Mail Plus radio podcasts at mailplus.co.uk or via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Join us next week for more political chat. But for now, that's all from me, Simon Walters. And from me, Amanda Platel. Goodbye. Goodbye.